Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. I'm very thankful for the the fact that Jesus did pay it all and that uh, he gave his life for us and that brings us hope in even the worst of circumstances. This past week, of course, our our nation was rocked again by another tragic school shooting on Wednesday. 17 people, when it was done, 17 people had lost their lives. Three teachers, 14 students. Some of the students as young as 14 years old. If you look at some of the faces of these kids, and that's what they are. They're just children involved in something that that they had no part in. Um, I I listened to a a tribute Anderson Cooper. I thought it was very well done. He just read through the names of those that were killed, and at the end of, after each name, he would say, "We, we will remember. We will remember. Sadly, that's becoming a too common of an occurrence in our country, and um, there's too many communities like that now, like Parkland, Florida, who are now part of a grieving community because of a senseless, tragic, violent event. As I, I thought about some of those things this week, um, I know that even in this room, there's going to be a variety of emotions from what happened. Uh, there's grief, obviously, even though we weren't there. There's, there's just grief. You can't help but look at the faces and see the parents that are there and just grieve with them. But there's also anger, there's frustration, there's fear. I mean, there's just fear that why, how, I, that's the one safe place, you know, we, we always considered. And, and so there's fear that comes along with that. And, and so as I, as I was thinking through this message this week, the, the, thing that, the question that came to my mind was, and I hope you'll understand where, where I'm coming with, the, the things that we believe, the fact that we're here this morning, does that make any difference in this crazy world that we live in, in this troubled world? And, and the answer comes in, in two ways, in my opinion. And one is this, and this is the absolute reality. Jesus is the hope for this world. The, the people don't know that, perhaps, but, but he is truly the only hope for this world. But that leads us to this second thought, and that is that Jesus gave a way for his hope to be distributed to this world. And that was through his church, his body. His presence in the world is seen through his church of people, through us that are even here this morning. I I don't want to ever try to give easy answers to complicated questions. I don't have answers to all the things that that have gone on. I, I can't give you all the simple answers. But here's what I do know, church. God designed us uniquely to make a difference in this troubled world. He has designed, he left a, a, a mechanism here to make a difference. The world that he lived in was crazy. The world ever since then has been crazy. The world before that is nuts. Sin, this is a sin-cursed world. But he left the church with a unique opportunity and power to make a difference. Here's what we got to remember. Rather than Christians taking, there's a multitude of ways we could go, but many times Christians, we tend to, to hide away. We take in the bunker mentality, and we're just going to be safe and keep everybody safe, and we're just going to, and we kind of hunker back. 
or we, we sometimes go the other way and we just complain about, oh, how bad the world is and I just can't wait to get out of here and the whole woe is me. Here's what God said. I left you here for a reason, church. You can make a difference even in this crazy, sick world. I have made it possible for you, for this church, Calvary Baptist, in the middle of Taylorville, Illinois, to make that kind of an impact. But that's what makes what we're studying this, these few weeks even more important. Because an unhealthy world has to have a healthy church to make a difference. And if we're not healthy, if we're not healthy in our spiritual walk, what good are we to the world? If the world is sick and we just come along and just add to their sickness, what good are we? It's so important that we are growing in our faith and in our health as, as a church because God has us here for that kind of a reason. And today, that's why this, as, as I studied for this message, I felt like, God, this is exactly where you have us to hear today, to hear. We're in the book of Titus, and we begin chapter 3, verse number 1, and I believe within this is part of the way God has designed for us as a church to make that kind of a difference. Remember, this is what Paul said to his friend Titus. Remind the people, he said, and get this, be ready to do whatever is good. I want you to keep that in mind, whatever is good. And then he's going to say this twice throughout the chapter, verse 8 and verse 14, and to devote themselves to doing what is good. These eight verses and throwing in 14, this passage is all about God's people doing good. And, and can I tell you, folks, that's what, when a healthy church does good in a community, it makes a difference. And when we do good in our community, it makes a difference here, it makes a difference around the world. One of, the, one of the professors that was talking about one of the students that was killed, and he was going to, be a, going to be a student in Indianapolis University, and he said, what we've learned now is that we all have this underlying connection, that even though that happened miles away, we're connected in different, and, and that's it. Though we may not have direct connection, we are connected to this. And, and the idea is, as a church, your, our health can make a difference here, it can make a difference there, it can make a difference around the world, if we take for granted or take for understanding what this means. When we make the mantra of our church and of our spiritual life, we're going to do good. We're going to talk about what that means, but that's critical. But let's also remember that we don't take this verse in isolation. Everything we've been learning about health of ourselves and of our church just adds to this. It just makes this kind of the, the climactic statement of what we're supposed to do. Let me just give you a review of what, we're, what we've talked about. We've talked about that as a church, truth has to be something that's not just taught, but it's lived. Do you understand the world just negates everything we say if we don't practice what we preach? If we just say we go all this and then we don't live the same way, they say, then I don't want to listen to you. I've, no, you, I've heard hypocrites before. We have to live what we, what we teach and what we say we believe. We need healthy leaders. We have to have healthy doctrine. Some people say, well, what you believe in is so important. Just love everybody. Well, loving is critical, but you understand that God says truth has to be truth. Truth and love is so important that we, that we know what we believe and why we believe. We need to be connected to one another so that we strengthen one another. And then last week, so powerful, the fact that spiritual health is impossible without God's grace. You're not going to know what life is without the grace of God who saves you, but you're not going to be able to walk this, this journey without God's grace and trusting in that grace and relying on that grace more than relying on your own power. He talked about the grace of God has appeared, the epiphany. He made it clear that this is what the world needs. It needs the grace of God. And I want to say again, the world needs, will see the grace of God when his church portrays that grace. 
When a hurting world sees God's grace living through us, they begin to understand what grace is all about. And that's where all this health comes from. So let's go back to our verse again, verse number one. And I want you just to see it again. The influence that we can have, remind the people, be ready to do whatever is good, to devote themselves to doing what is good. Here's today's theme. A healthy church, it is a church that is devoted to doing good. That's what we're here to do. When a church is healthy, it means it is devoted to doing, and here's what we want to do. We want to define that. What are we talking about when we're talking about good? It seems very simple. We'll just do good. Okay, yes, but he's going to be very specific. Let me give you a description of what I think helps us understand what this means and how it makes such an impact in our world. Doing good, as we're going to see in these verses, is how those inside the church are to treat those outside the church. Doing good, it's important that you treat the guy sitting next to you or the lady sitting next to you nicely. That's important. We talked about connection in the church. But what we're talking about now is the church has to see that we inside the church have a special responsibility to those outside the church. Here's what the church has an uncanny inclination to do. And that is we, we tend to get inward focused. We tend to huddle. It's not just a church. A lot of organizations struggle with that when they're trying to reach out, but they, it's comfortable to, to kind of huddle together, to kind of cling together and to, to feel safer and to know that the people that I'm around, they love me and they're not. And, and so we like that and we feel that and we, we have this tendency to get everything focused in. But we have to remember that God called us for something different. We are here to support, to connect, to love one another, but that's for a job, for a reason. Here's a quote that I hope that you'll mark down and take this and understand it. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. Please understand that, church. A healthy church gets the, the understanding that we are not here for each other. We're not here so you have somebody to marry and bury you. You're not here just so that we can, we can have this little cuddle. We are here together to strengthen each other so we can make a difference in the world. So the world that's hurting can see that there's hope. We are here. We exist for the sake of those who need Jesus Christ. In, in the passage we're going to look at, two verses, I want you to, if you have your Bibles, we're in Titus chapter 3, two verses at the last word of each of these verses, I want you to see it. Chapter 3 and verse 2, the word says, toward everyone, underline that or circle that, and then the end of verse 8, he says, for everyone. Okay, does anybody need the explanation of what everyone means, right? He's talking about this good that we do is not just good for you and your family, even for the, this is the good for everyone. The church is to be making an impact, not just in this building, but in the world outside of these walls to do something that makes that kind of a difference. Takes us back to two very powerful commands that Jesus reiterated in his ministry. In fact, when asked, what is the greatest command? Remember what he said, Matthew 22. He said, the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's number one. But then he quickly said, and the second greatest is, and everyone say this last one with me, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so you, so you understand, the very concept that Jesus gave to the church was love is key. Loving God Loving your neighbor. But the question even was asked to Jesus at one time. The question comes down then, who is my neighbor? And see, I think Paul answers that question. Everyone is your neighbor. Any person that comes, you, you come in contact with, any person you're going to have a connection with or you're going to have a, a, a conversation with or you're going to, that becomes your neighbor. 
And they need to see good come from you because you are, you are the one who's, who God has given this opportunity to. As the church, everyone, all the neighbors include not just the neighbors next to you. It includes that person you're going to meet at work and at school and the person you're going to meet across the street. Everyone, according to, to Paul to Titus, everyone becomes the neighbor that we're to, to love, that we have come in contact with. So here's what he tells us back in chapter 3 and verse number 1. Paul says this, he said, remind the people, and he's going to now specifically talk about who some of these neighbors are and how, how do we do this? What does this mean that we are, uh, to, where does this others come from? Look at this, remind the people to be subject to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. He's starting to describe here what this good, part of what this looks like. And it has to do, this becomes even more relevant even in the passage in the time in which we're leaving. Understand where Paul was. We, sometimes we forget the, where the, the, the society that Paul lived in. Rome and Crete, as we're talking here, where Titus was, they were not the most pleasant of places to live. Their governments had some pretty serious issues if you've heard history at all, they were pretty crazy, some of the rulers, some of the, the emperors, some of the, and, and that's where these Christians find themselves in the midst of. In fact, some of their rulers and even some of their own people were, trying to persec were persecuting the church, taking them out. I mean, this was not a, a happy time, if you would, in, in, in many cases for the church and the believers. But that Paul says here, and he, he talks about the fact that we're to be subject to rulers. In fact, if you go to chapter 13 of Romans, here's what he, how he said it, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, we, we look sometimes at our government, and you would probably say, oh, I don't trust the government. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because I'm pretty sure it would be pretty close to unanimous. But some of you would say, I don't trust the government. Here's how Paul would say this. I, I didn't tell you to trust the government. I told you to trust the person or the one who put the government in place, and that's God. That's what we can remember. These people are not in control. They may think they are, and they may have a lot of power, but God put them there. God has a reason for them there. I may not understand the reason, but God has them there, and so for that reason alone, they deserve it at the very least, my respect. They, reserve, they deserve something about the, the fact of because God put them there. Here's how Peter put it, 1 Peter chapter number 2. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor or to the governors. Now, here's the thing. All of us have some authority over us, including the government itself. But there, you may have a boss. You may have, so there, you have parents. You have, you have authority. But he says, all of them, be subject. And then he says, for it is, now look at this, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. There's our phrase again. So what is doing good, Paul? Doing good is how you treat others, and he starts even with the authority and how you, how you treat them with respect and what you say about them. Now, if you go back to Titus chapter 3, when he said, remind the people, and he goes on to say, uh, not only do whatever is good and to tell them to slander no one, to be peaceful and consider and always be gentle toward everyone. Let's look at some of those words. To slander no one. Okay, we've been talking about government. Wouldn't that be a great thing if, if in the political campaign nobody slandered anybody else? You couldn't have a political campaign, could you, if you don't slander somebody, if you don't rip somebody's reputation and their character and, and true or not or half-truths and whatever. That, that just completely goes. But God is saying there's something about that. You want to see why there's some issues in our society? There's some words here that would help us if we could learn that. But he's not talking to the world in general. He's talking to the church. And he's saying, church, the world may not get this, but you can. Don't slander anyone. 
The word slander means blaspheme, or it means, it means to, uh, to, to vilify them, to, to rip apart their character, if you want to just put it in simple terms. He says, don't do that to anyone. So maybe, maybe Christians, we ought to be a little more careful of how we speak about those in authority over us, whether it would be a government. And if our kids hear what we're saying about the government, would it be any wonder why they don't respect authority when they hear some of the slander, say, I'm not saying we agree with everything, but we have to be careful. But let's just take it. He also says, don't slander anyone. Maybe we need to be more careful as Christians that we're not tearing somebody else's name down. Here's what doing good is by simple definition. It's not speaking evil of other people. How many times would we have to be quiet if we couldn't speak evil? One of the ladies in the, in the lobby today said something, and, and I started to come back with one of those witty little repartees, you know, and right here it stopped because I've been studying this stinking sermon all week, right? At some point, and it wasn't going to be that bad. I may not have slandered her completely, but do you, do you understand at some point, not everything that you think here that sh- doesn't need to come out here, slander no one. Would that not change the culture of our society if we, would, if we could just learn to shut this sometimes and slander other people? You see what God is saying? Do good, Christians, and maybe it starts with our mouths, not slander. He goes on to say, be peaceable and considerate. Boy, huge words. Peaceable means, uh, I love this definition, it means sweet reasonableness. You, you want to be, you're trying to make peace. You're, you're not only are you not just trying to make war, but you actually are looking for ways to make peace. And this definition just grabbed my attention. It's being satisfied with less than you feel is due you. I got my rights, and I'm going yes, you do. I, I get that, and, and I love the country for that. But at some point, we can be willing that we don't have to have everything that just the way that we want it, and that's peaceableness. There, there is a willingness to, to, to set back to this peaceableness, to be considerate, no abusive talk. It doesn't mean we don't disagree, but we don't have to disagree with abusiveness. We don't have to disagree with, with inconsiderate talking. We can disagree in a way that honors God. That, that's what he's saying. This doing good could change the, just the, comp, the composition of our society. And then he says, and he wraps it up, always be gentle toward everyone. The word gentle is the word humble. Just be humble to put yourself in a place where you, you truly can. It, it literally is harnessing your power. You have the ability to do something, but you choose not to for the benefit of someone else. That's humility by definition. You have the power to, but you hold that back for the benefit of someone else. And you, you put gentleness, you put humility into action. Humility is an ingredient that we need in our relationship with God. It's in relationship to the other people. Do you just see, you see, Christians, if we just got this verse and we started living that, think about just the changes those little influences could have in our society if we took these particular words for granted. Doing good to others. Now he goes on in verse 14, and he also adds one other thing that doing good includes, and he says it's in order to provide for urgent needs. It's, it's humbling ourselves, but it's also when needs are there, when the, our neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, it's when the need is there and presented that we do what we can to take care of it. All that is what God is saying. So that's, that's part of what how, doing good has. It's how we, from the inside of the church, treating those outside the church, respect, consideration, no slander, Meeting needs, what are we doing to, to make that happen? As we walk through this, let me give you some observations that I grabbed from this passage. First one is this. Let God's goodness to you drive your goodness to others. Now that he's kind of talked about what good, doing good means, I want you to look at this next thing. When Paul reminds them about, you know, this is what, this is what you're supposed to remind the people, he starts with this. 
And, and let me put it this way. Remember, be, be, as you're talking and you communication with other people, remember when you weren't so good. He, he takes a he step back in history and he says, and I want you to just remember a point in your time when you had some issues. Look how he puts it, verse number uh, three. He says, at one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. He's saying we're dealing with other people. One thing to remember is you've got some issues of your own and you have had some in the past. You've got some things that, that you're not, that's not so beauty, beautiful about your resume. Is it not true that often some of the people that have made tons of mistakes in their life are the most patient to those making mistakes around them? Because they remember what it was like to make mistakes and to, and to fall and to stumble and someone to... And so that's the, that's the attitude he has, is remember that, that there was a point when you had some issues, but then he goes on to say, when you weren't so good, God was exceedingly good to you. So how do we start treating people right? Remember how good God has been to us. We were sinners. We were far away from God. We were haters. All these words in different forms, that was us. But God loved us anyway. And let that be your motivation. Look what he says in the next few verses, starting verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, now you once were this, but he said, but when, the, when God's love appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And boy, that's some powerful words. In, in the Greek, that's all one big long sentence. It just all flows together. He was making a point. In fact, some historians say this was some kind of a creed, that they would, uh, that one of those things that you would memorize and during certain services or whatever, they would repeat this back, that this, because of God's kindness, that you didn't deserve, he saved us through the washing, all of these things. This is how important this phrase is, is that we understand that at one point, with, if you're a follower of Christ, at one point you were lost in your sins. You were away from him. You, you had nothing you could, but... When the kindness and love of God appeared. I love that word because it's the same word we looked at last week, appeared. That's that epiphany. At one time, you may have knew about God's love. You may have heard about it. Oh, yeah, God, God is love. I hear that, John 3, 16. But when, when Jesus Christ came and you received his gift of salvation and his love and his mercy saved you, that kindness appeared. It became light to you. You saw that is what love is. It appeared to you, you understood who he was, you understood what he'd done, but notice it says, but not because of any righteous things we have done. That's probably one of the hardest things that even in our, in our modern society, people have to, to grab with, to, to understand. There, there's so many people, and you maybe right in this room or somebody you're going to talk to, when you ask about their relationship with God or, or going to heaven, they'll say, well, I hope that I, I'm going to be good enough to get there. I hope, and this is a famous one, I hope that what I do bad or what I do good will outweigh what I've done bad. And, and, and what Paul is telling us here, and it's repeated throughout Scripture in so many ways, your goodness has no bearing at all. In fact, according to God, you don't have any goodness of your own that you can bring to him. 
So your goodness has no bearing on whether you're going to go to heaven or not. It has nothing to do with your goodness. Nothing at all. It, 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 he says it. He says, not because of any righteous things, not because of any goodness that we have done, not at all, but because of his mercy. Here's how Paul put it in Romans chapter number 5. He said this, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. You didn't have an ability to come to God. Christ died for you. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he didn't ask you to clean your act up and turn over a new leaf. And get, I've heard so many people, I can't come to God. I've got to fix some things first. You, you can't fix it. There's nothing you can do for it. You have no ability. You're powerless. But God loves you in your sin. He loves you and he sent his son to die for you even as you are. So it's not by any righteousness that we have done. If you go back to Titus chapter 3, he says, and he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Let's just stop there for a second. Paul's giving us this, this great theological truth to understand. He's describing what salvation is and it's referred to in this passage as, as, being, as, as a birth, a rebirth. Jesus used the term in John 3. He said, you must be born again. That's such a beautiful picture. And it's such a plain picture of what salvation is. And let me just, let me just ask you to, to consider what that means. Our sins are completely washed away. We're supernaturally created internally something new. We're made a new creation. That means born again. So let me ask you the question. Have you been born again? Now, I just want you to think about that because that's a really important biblical question. Um, it, salvation is a new birth moment. It, very similar to when you were born, there was a point in which this life for you began. And, and that's a, an evidence, in fact, because you're sitting here. That means you have been born, right? Now, Shelly's got one of her relatives for years. They had this argument. She said she was 96. Her kids said she was 94, well, the church that had the records burned down so nobody could prove it, right? Uh, so th they fought over and over. I'm 96. No, you're not. Mom, you're 94. And they fought over this thing for years and years and years. Here's the point. It doesn't really make any difference. And at 90, who cares, right? I mean, it doesn't really make... But here, here's, the, here's the point. The fact that she was there proved that she had been born. We may not know the exact date, but we know she was born. Let me ask that question again. Have you been born again? That means, has there been a point in your life? Some of you will say, listen, I've always believed in Jesus. I'm, I'm glad for you. That's fantastic. That really is. And I'm glad that you've got that heritage. But that wasn't my question. I didn't ask if you believed that Jesus existed. My question is, have you been born again? Has there been a point in your life when the blood of Jesus Christ came and washed away your sins and you entered into a new life? You created new if you know you've been born, you need to know you've been born again. You may not know the exact date on the calendar, but there had to be a point when you can look back and say, God showed me I was a sinner and I received his son as my savior. Have you been born again? That means, have you been washed? Have, you been, have your sins been, been washed away? That's what it means. And then he goes on to say, not only the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The washing of rebirth is when your sins are washed away and you become part of God's family. But now there's something else. It's renewal, he says, of the Holy Spirit. This renewal has the idea of, of the, the new birth forgives us of our sins, but now this ongoing transformation that once you've been saved, now there's a, an ongoing renewal of your life, this maturing of who you are and becoming what God has called you to be. Be, what God wants you. We, the theological term is sanctification. It's the idea that you have been justified, your sins are forgiven, but now it's, it's just what the God is doing in your life is he's changing you one step at a time. He's maturing you and, and, and this, you're growing in knowledge and growing in wisdom, growing in strength, growing in faith, growing in endurance. 
Here's something I was thinking about today as, as I thought about this, this principle. And that is there are sometimes that we, we know the Holy Spirit, as it says here in, in work, we, we want him to come and just at certain moments we just need to feel that power and, and, and that happens. But you know what really the process of, of you feeling the strength of the Holy Spirit is this ongoing growth in him and that you're building endurance. It's like, it's like you literally are spiritually in training, and as you grow in faith and you obey Him one step at a time, you're getting stronger. And so sometimes the power of the Holy Spirit is not this, this boom on your life in a moment. It's what's been happening today and tomorrow and the next day. And as you grow and obey and you follow, you're growing in strength and endurance and in faith so that as the problems come, you have the strength to face them. As the things happen, you have the faith to continue to move forward because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's renewing us. He moved into your life, not because of anything you did, but he, the Holy Spirit poured himself out on you. That's salvation, folks. Rebirth, renewal of the Holy Spirit. He poured him out generously through Jesus Christ. So we've been justified and we become heirs of, the, heirs of the hope of God. Have you received that? And if you have, then understand, there's a work going on inside of you that's changing you and making you what God has called you to be. So, so how does this go back to this whole idea of who we are and what God wants us to do. Do you understand that it's salvation that makes it possible for you to do good? In God's eyes, again, he said in Romans, we really don't do any good without, it is actually his spirit within you that gives you the ability, gives you the, the, the desire and the ability to do what God has called you to do. Uh, you, but remember this, you don't, you're not going to be good to be saved. You do good because you are saved. It's a matter of salvation. It has nothing to do with your good works. But once you've accepted him, good works become a part of what God's going to do in your life and doing the things that God has called you to do. That's what God has done. But here's the thing you've got to remember. Then we have no excuse. If we're not acting the way we ought to, it's not God's fault. It's not an excuse that we can, because God says he moved in, the Holy Spirit renews us. He gives us this ability, this power to do what God has called us to do, which leads us to our second thought today, and that's this. Healthy churches are intentional about doing good. That means it's not just by accident. We have been given this vision. We've been given this power. God has shown us what we need to do. He gave us Jesus, and Jesus gave us the example of how to, how to live and how to do that which is good. And now he says, now you have this power. The resurrection power lives in you. Now you've got to make this decision. You have to, and look what he says in verse number eight. Go down with me. He says this. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. He said, okay, you've accepted Christ then I want to challenge you. You're going to have to intentionally do good. Uh, the power's there. The example's there. God is changing you, but you're going to have to make an intentional choice. Uh, that last phrase reminds me of something that was said about Jesus. In, in Acts chapter number 10, Peter said this about Jesus. Jesus, in essence, just went around doing good. That just kind of summarized the, the, what Jesus did. He, while he was walking, he just went around doing good. Remember, church, we are Jesus' body. Jesus went when wherever he went, he, he alleviated pain and suffering. He helped whoever, he, he met the needs of people. He did what he could. Do you understand, church, that should describe who we are? That Calvary Baptist just went around doing good. We just went around making an effort, intentionally doing that which was good to help others, to alleviate just as Jesus did for us, to just live in that. But, but here's the, the tension. The tension is God has given us his power 
But we still have a decision to make if it's going to happen in our lives. It has to be an intentional, a deliberate choice. Theologians argue over this all the time. But here's how Paul put it in Philippians chapter number 2. He said this, My dear friends, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now catch that. He didn't say work for your salvation. You don't work to get saved, but once you are saved, you work it out. It becomes something that's, that's visible. Because notice the last part, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He, Christians, here's the point. God gives us the power. He gives us the example. The Holy Spirit is renewing us. But we're going to have to be deliberate about doing, we're going to have to be deliberate to obey him, to follow him. We have to work out what God is working in us to be what God has called us to be. It's a matter of intentionally doing what he has, intentionally devote ourselves to doing good. So maybe that means for you to, to learn what that is. What, what does it mean? Or opening your eyes to opportunities of what it means to do good. Maybe you need to hold yourself accountable to someone and say, well, just ask me this week. If maybe it's a matter of, of, of just intentionally doing something that would put, keep it in your mind. And then, first, and then last but certainly not least, when you see it, do something about it. Don't wait. Be careful, he says, to devote yourselves to doing that which is good. It's going to be hard work. Sometimes it's not going to feel very natural. You're going to have to step outside yourself. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to do something for the need of others. But he says, be careful to devote yourselves to doing what is good. And then he ends this verse with this phrase. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. They're excellent just to know themselves, just to do the good things that God is. They're excellent. That's phenomenal stuff. But he says, and they're profitable for everyone. It makes everything better. It affects you. It will affect your spiritual walk. It will affect your ability to, to find the faith and be obedience and following, doing good. It affects your spiritual walk. It affects your church and those around you and your relationships. And it affects the world. As we do what we intentionally are careful, devote ourselves to doing what is good, it profits everyone. It's beneficial for the whole community when the church decides we are going to intentionally do that which is good. I want to end this with this phrase and bring us back full circle to what we've talked about salvation, and that's this. Grace is the root, and doing good is the fruit of our salvation. Grace is where it all begins. We do not do good because we're good. We do good because the grace of God has appeared to us. It's changed us. In fact, that's the verse we looked at, Titus 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, and it offers salvation to all people. And that same grace that offers salvation, it also teaches us. It trains us. It all starts with God. Everything starts with God's grace. Grace is the root that teaches us and trains us. And then it continues on. Verse number 7 that we read today, he says this, And having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the, having the hope of eternal life. Everything starts with grace. God is the one. It all begins with him. The grace and the mercy of God and what he has done. But now as you move through this, understand that it is by his grace. We're not saved by any of the works. I, I love this quote this week. He said this, we are not saved by faith plus works, but we are saved by faith that works. You are saved by a faith that gets you involved, that moves you to do something. The grace that saved you is going to be the grace that changes you to do those things that God has called you to do. So when he wraps it up in verse 14, he says this, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs, and look at this last phrase, and not live 
unproductive lives. God has called us, church, God has called you, Christian, to live a life that produces fruit. A life that, that word unproductive could also be unfruitful. God's grace has made real in our life. We've received it, and that's the source. And now he says that for you to do what he's called you to do, it means that your life is going to produce good works. Your life is going to begin to do what God has called you to do. That is God's plan for you. That is God's meaning for you to do that which is good. He said it similar in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, for it is by grace, there's our word, you've been saved. It's through faith. This isn't from yourselves. It's a gift of God. You didn't work for it. It's God's gift, not by works, because we'd brag about it if we could do anything to save ourselves. He said, but it's not of you at all. But look at the next verse. He says, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're saved. That's nothing you can do on your own. But now that you're saved, you've been recreated in Christ and you, your life has meaning because God has created you to do something. You're his handiwork. You're his masterpiece. He has a plan for you. The people you're around are not an accident. The talents you have are not an accident. Your interest, your personality is not an accident. He's created you to do good works to take what has saved you and now let that become the fruit that, that the world sees. Here's the truth that you can say. You are made as a follower of Christ to do good works. You've been made that way. You've been recreated to do good and to make a difference in the world and in this community and in the society. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, he tells us that this all makes sense. He said, don't become weary in doing good. He says, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Grace starts it, and then as God moves, it produces a harvest. It produces fruit. Your life has meaning. You're, you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand. God says, listen, God, I have a work for you. I've created you. You do what I've called you to do. You do good the way I made you to, and you will see the harvest. You will see your life fruitful. You will see what God has in mind for you to do to work. Matthew chapter number 4. Five, excuse me, look how Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. And he could say that to all of us. We live in a dark world, a dark culture, a dark society. And the light is Jesus, but he has chosen to shine that light through his church. We are the light of the world. So knowing that, who we are, look what he says two verses down. So let your light shine before others that they may see your, what? Good deeds and glorify your Father. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. L look at this. Reality is, folks, we are made for this. As a follower of Christ, as a church of Christ, we are made to do what God is, to do good works. And when we do, that will make an impact in the society. But let me clarify this. As followers of Christ, we're not just do-gooders. It's not just about we just, we, we just make society better. We have a higher calling than that. Here, here's, a, here's a phrase maybe you've heard in our, in our culture. It's, it's uh, RAC, R-A-K, Random Acts of Kindness. And, and I am not opposed to random acts of kindness at all. It makes society a lot nicer place to live. It's just when, when you just feel, you, you know, you see something, you randomly do something. Fantastic. But let me just show you, Christians, this is really what it looks like for us. It's not random anything. It's purposeful acts of kindness. 
Here's what God has called us to do, Christians, is randomly, if, you, if that's how you want to look at it, phenomenal, but we need to be purposeful, intentional, deliberate about doing that which is good for others. It's about not just doing good. There's something about intentionality here. We, we, we have to be careful, devoted to do good, yes. And so it's, it's going out your day to day. How can I be good to someone else? How can I show God's goodness? Keeping your eyes open, intentionally, purposefully doing good. But it's not even that. According to the verse we just read from Jesus, that, that the light of the world would shine it so that it brings glory to the Father. We don't just do this randomly because it helps society or because it makes us feel better. We are doing what we do because it glorifies the Father, because He deserves this. We are doing everything we do so that God is lifted up, so that they make much of Jesus. So here's what I want to encourage you to do, Christians, is this week, let's devote ourselves to doing good, but devote ourselves to doing good for the glory of the Father. So that means that we don't just do good and not say anything about the Father, we make sure that he receives the glory for what's done. It wasn't, oh, you did such a great job. Give glory to God and point people to God. But we also don't just point people to God and then forget about doing good. It's, it's the idea that God has married this together, that by doing good, we glorify the Father, people are drawn to him, and society can change. Church, I, I'm not trying to, to, to uh, we're, we're trying to eat an elephant one bite at a time. I understand that as each of us as a Christians and as a church, we devote ourselves to doing good. We can make a difference in our world, in our culture. Some Christians have to understand that when you do good this week, I challenge you to make sure God is glorified, that they know that there is a God who loves them. And then as you, you want to tell someone about loving God, one of the easiest ways to do so is to make sure they know that they're loved and you show them God's kindness and show them what the Father has done. One man said it this way, good deeds produce goodwill, that makes room for the good news. You do that which is good, but you do it for the purpose of, bringing, of pointing people to God, and you see that the doors open so that you can share the truth of who God is. Purposeful acts of kindness. Let me give you a summary of what we're talking about today. We are to do good, devote ourselves to that, but we do good because of who we are and who we belong to. You do good because of the change that's happened in you, because of the goodness that God has shown to you, and that because that, let that motivate you to do good for others. And then we also do good because of who we belong to. We are children of the Heavenly Father. He deserves the honor and the glory. He, does, he wants people to come to Him. So we do good because of who we are and how we've been changed, and because of the honor and the glory of the Father. So Calvary, let me ask you. How can you intentionally do good this week? What would it take for you to devote yourself to doing good for the glory of the Father? What would need to change? Is it just your perspective, taking the blinders off and seeing the needs? Is it a heart of compassion to when you see the need, you, you let God show you how you can make a difference? What, what would you need to do to intentionally do good, to make a difference in this world? Let me ask you another question, and this is for all, just whoever in the audience. I asked it once before, but let me ask you it again. Have you been born again? Do you know that Jesus Christ has been your, not only who he is, but he's become your personal savior, your forgiver, your Lord? 
Every one of us has a need. We're sinners lost before God. That's where we were, but Christ died to save us. But we have to receive that gift. Have you received that? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and his death and, and confessed your need for a Savior? Can you point to a time of your birth? Yes. Can you point to a time when Jesus began that change? He started. He saved you, forgave you of your sins. Have you been born again? Let me challenge you this way. Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been born again. Let me challenge you to ask God to show you every day. Show you today before you, before you hit pillow your head. God, show me how I can intentionally do good for someone else. Now, I'm not, we don't ignore if it's a church member and we say, oh, you're a church member, I can't help you. That's not my point. But if we just devote ourselves to doing good, and that's going to show us some people that just need to hear that God loves them. Maybe it's just they need to know one lady shared with me before church that a lady just asked her to peel an orange. Oddest request in the world, even though she was in the food industry, but she did. I don't know what your peeling an orange might look like, what God may ask you to do, but would you be willing to say, God, as you show me, I will devote myself to doing what is good because that's what you've made me to do, and I want to bring glory to the Father. Let's bow our heads today. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If God has saved you, he's been good to you, and you've received his gift of salvation, then let me challenge you to let that motivate you to devote yourself to doing what is good. But if you're here today and, and you can't point to a, a period in your life, a time in your life when you were born again, when you received the gift of eternal life, then may I just challenge you today, if God is speaking to your heart, why not today? Right from where you're seated, confess the fact that, God, I'm a sinner and I know I need a Savior, and I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. Please save me. Forgive me. I'll follow you with my life. Just call out to him today. Father God, we've talked about a very serious need in our culture, a serious need in our community, there is hatred and there is violence and there is pain and selfishness. And God, your church, your people should stand in such a stark contrast to that, that people are drawn to you because of the way that we live differently and we devote ourselves to doing what is good. Lord, put that challenge in our hearts. That just if each one of us would determine that this week I will devote myself to doing good for the glory of the Father. Lord, I believe we could make a difference in Taylorville. I believe we could make a difference in Christian County. I think we could make a difference in this world if as your people, we would devote ourselves to doing that which is good. Lord, if there's one here that's lost, please draw them to yourself. May today be the day of their salvation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I give you a chance to to spend some time talking to God. And maybe today, you're right where you're seated. You, you and God, you'll pray and you'll speak to him. But if you're here today and you've not experienced new birth, you've not, you can't point to a time when you've received that gift of salvation, let me call you today to, to receive that gift. Give you an invitation to accept the gift of eternal life to Jesus Christ. You can call out from right there, and if you do, I hope that you'll let us know so we can help you in your next step. But maybe you could want to come this morning. There'll be those here who would love to pray with you. 
to show you what that means to be born again, to know Christ as your Savior. If that's you, would you just step out as the music plays? Maybe you want to talk to God about how you can do good or confess that you haven't been devoting yourself much to that and what could you do from this step? What is your next step in this, this concept of devoting yourself to doing good?